0: everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to another strong female of 80s alternative music. Last week it was Leslie Woods of The Au Pairs. And this week it is Susan Ottaviano of that wonderful synth-pop band Book of Love. So Susan and her musical partner Ted Ottaviano, no relation, started Book of Love in the early 80s with their friends Lauren Roselli and Jade Lee. And if you were paying any attention to alternative radio in the mid-80s through the early 90s, you would have heard dozens of Book of Love hits. The one you're listening to here, I Touch Roses. There was Modigliani. There was Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls. There was Alice Every Day, Boy. They were staples of alternative radio at the time. Well, this year, they are celebrating 30 years together. They're out on tour. They released a greatest hits package If you like synth-pop, if you recognize a lot of these songs, which you would if you were paying attention, it is well worth your time to pick up the Greatest Hits package. They never had that one big crossover hit, that one that was making big splashes on pop radio, even though they had dozens of hits on dance radio and alternative radio. And we talk about why that's kind of a bummer for them, honestly. After the band kind of came to an end, Susan started a second career as a food stylist and photographer, Susan is one of my favorite kind of people to talk to because she's candid and concise and she's very open and honest about how difficult it is as we know to make a living as a creative person as an artist and even though she had this second career even that comes with its challenges and so i love talking with her to really get a perspective on you know the bumps in the road how difficult it can be to maintain that kind of career to pay your bills when you're focused on creativity. It's a shame, but it's true. We also talk about why this time of year is particularly lucrative for them. Thanksgiving is a big one for them. Their third album, Candy Carol, while not being a straightforward, literal holiday album, has some holiday influence or vibe to it. I highly recommend it, by the way, if you like those sound. Anyway, it made sense for to talk to Susan and put this episode out now during the middle of the holidays when it is so aligned with Book of Love. She's a great lady, she talked to me from her home in New York City. I got to see you in concert, I think you were here in Denver about Oh, two did you come ago. to the
1: Oriental Theater show?
0: I sure did, yeah. Awesome.
1: <laughs>
0: and what a blast from the past. So I check I this website, Polestar, every month or so, yeah. and it lists basically every show anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I'm on there, and I make a list, and then I write down all the shows I'm interested in. and Most of them I try to get through, some I don't. But anyway, I saw Book of Love on there, and I thought, that can't be the Book of Love that I know, that I grew up on. Because I hadn't seen your name for years, you know? Maybe I, I'd like to think I pay attention to that kind of stuff, but yeah. maybe I missed it somehow. I don't know. So the night comes around, and I drive down to the Oriental Theater, and I I stand in line for my ticket, and the guy standing there... It has this really long black hair with like gray streaks in it. looks like a real biker guy. And I was like, now is this book of love? Like I touch roses book of love. And he's like, man, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I'll take my chances. Cause of course he doesn't, he probably is not your typical book of love fan, but I just thought what a blast from the past to see you guys after, you know, loving you for 30 years kind of out of nowhere. So what's, I know this is your 30th anniversary, but what is that what sparked this tour? Do you guys go out on tours like this a lot?
1: No. I mean, we we got back together in 2001, and we did a best of album, and we did a best of tour. And mm-hmm. over the past, you know, what is that, 20 years from then, yeah. we've gotten back together and done a show here and there. And then okay. I guess a couple of years ago, we got together in a certain formation, and we started doing shows again. And then we decided okay. to launch this whole idea of doing a 30th anniversary album and to try to do, you know, a U.S. tour to back it. Um, right. So there's been a lot of stops and starts with the reunions, and I'm sure probably a, a lot of bands tell you that same thing. You know, can, yeah. does this work? Do we still want to do it? Um, yep. Sometimes the reunions, depending on the year, they feel better than others. You know, earlier yeah. on it felt a little more tragic. Now it feels like we're honoring our work at this point, our, honoring yeah. our catalog. So it feels a little. The timing feels so much better, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Saying that there was felt tragic before. Was that? I'm assuming that's because of just some sadness around the fact that the band. isn't I guess a real so. It just felt like, do I want to be?
1: I mean, I think as an artist, you know, you always want to move forward, whatever that is. I mean, it's your life. Yeah. It's not like it's you know a time machine. So. Yeah. I think that during the '90s we were a little out of place with the music that was Mm -hmm. going on there. Sort of, no matter what we did, we were just a little off. Like every artist, sort of has their their moment. It doesn't mean that they're not relevant necessarily or can. (laughs) And so I think in the early 2000s it felt a little bit like, why exactly are we doing this? And then when we're with people that just, oh, there's never been any good music out since the '80s. Well, you know, I don't feel that way. So yeah. you also don't want to just be playing for people who just want to, you know, right. relive a moment, you know. I know that's part of it, but it also just... Well, don't be- you?
0: Because that's,
1: I mean, there are so
0: many... I, I'll give you an example. In fact, when I was at your show, I was emailing with David Sterry, the lead singer of Real Life, the Send Me an Angel, you remember? You probably remember that, yeah. popular yeah. synth-pop band from Australia, because he was a guest on the show right around that same time. And he kind of went through a similar thing where they tried throughout the 90s and into the 2000s, they put out two or three extra albums kind of after their peak period. They were sort of trying to roll with the times, kind of like your last two did, but they were even more almost industrial influenced. But now he just makes a very contented, happy living doing like 80s nostalgia shows. And he finally owns his music, so he makes money off that finally. But were you guys sort of pushing against any kind of sense of nostalgia or reliving the past there for a while?
1: Well, it feels different to honor your catalog than it does to be just trying to, uh, you know, point. not feel relevant at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. It just felt kind of like, why are we doing this? And we'd have a really good night, and then we'd have a really bad night and feel yeah. kind of like, maybe I need to work on doing something else. Maybe I need yeah. to, you know, let this go, and I think that, As a lifetime of a career in the arts, it doesn't always just keep climbing the ladder of success and keep going through the roof. It's going to have Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, so you have to figure Mm -hmm. out how do you feel about it, you know, where you fit in to all of that. Right,
0: yeah. Is the tour, this 30th anniversary tour that you guys are currently on right now, has it been mostly good for you?
1: It's been great. It's been terrific. I mean, uh, Jay and Lauren haven't been able to work with us on this tour um, because of their yeah. schedule conflicts, so it's just been you and, yeah, me and Ted, which you you saw you saw the show, mm-hmm. so you know that. So yep. we did a couple yep. of reunion shows. We, we, well, we're doing two more in San Francisco and in um, Texas in February, and then we did wow. one in New York City where we had all of us, and that was really special. And then the rest That's of the great. tour, Ted and I have been going out on our own. So we really feel, you know, it really it really feels like the whole thing has come full circle, and Good. we sort of have a few more and and it's interesting what you started the conversation with we have a song that's the single we're actually having a remix album it's not an album like an EP or something like that coming out um, in a couple of months and the song is called All Girl Band G major down to D E minor and back to C punk rock girls stirred the pot Vivian and Aerie up Polystyrene, x-ray specs, lily put Big kisses at Emerald City. We saw those splits. It was a night you shouldn't have missed. They all said we were girls running around wearing ties. And it's about, um, I think we did it that night. If you saw it, it was about, um, we started out as music fans. We went to art school and we used to go to clubs in the, in yeah. post-punk early 80s. And we sure. saw bands that, like The Slits, Bush Tetras, all the bands yeah. that were playing then, you know, they didn't have the luxury of becoming, you know, famous. Like a few of them, like Psychedelc Curs. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw The Cure. But there's a lot of, yeah. like, amazing bands that really influenced us that nobody's ever heard of. You know, uh, Lily put a lot of the, uh, you know, we were focusing on this one on the all-girl bands. It sort of encouraged us to, like, feel like we could get up on stage and be in a band. because great. There were yeah. a lot of women in music, you know, at that time. And, again, oh, I feel the same way. Those those artists, you know, when somebody will say something to me or somebody said, you know, kind of remind me of Lydia Lunch, and I'm like, yeah. how do you know who that is? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, you got to tell me, because I'm envisioning, you know, something I think that gets kind of lost in rock history is we always apply that DIY ethic to punk music, But you could equally apply it to synth pop, we'll call it, because, I mean, once those – you hear from bands like Tears for Fears or Depeche Mode, and they all say as soon as keyboards and synthesizers became affordable, then everyone got them and just started tinkering with them. Howard Jones would be another. And just like seeing what they could do with these little machines, and from that birthed that synth pop mo- movement of the '80s—that was that birth. I'm guessing, if you're like me, these bands that we love, right? The Depeche Mode. Well, I think the that, O&B that people became like, that.
1: like Ted really became a composer. He was able to become a composer by being able to play all the instruments, and that all those instruments. Oh, interesting!
0: Were to have to
1: play. Yeah. So yeah. when we started out, we had the first band we were in. You know, and that later moved into Book of Love. You know, we had a lot of the DIY and like a lot of the energy. But then, when we moved into a uh, real songwriting composing, Ted just kind of like you know out of the box as soon as we went into the recording studio, he was able to just go crazy and really compose yeah. you know the, i our first twelve inch that's all I remember is like he's like, okay, I have like three more parts, you know what I mean? I have like uh-huh. ten more parts, so it was incredible really, just gave him the opportunity to really create, so yeah. we were never we, we were never poised to be like a synth pop band we were just people working together and, you know, at one time we were trying to find a guitar player before we were really signed and stuff. The other thing oh, that happened then that, that, that's different now is that, you know, when you got signed and all of a sudden you were given the brass, you know, a yeah. ring and you were able to go into a pro studio and do something. So, right. you know, now it's a little different because everybody can record at home. It, it was an sure. interesting time. So it was, when, when we did get signed, we had the opportunity, you know, to yeah. to create yeah. this music. So that's
0: fascinating. So the the initial plan was not necessarily to be a synth pop band. That just not at all. happened to open up Ted's creativity and allow it to flourish. And you guys were able to write these great songs. It just so happened that was the vehicle to get you
1: there. Yeah, definitely. Oh, fascinating. I mean, when Lauren joined the band, we had had another guy. You know, we wanted to find a bass player, and we had. Uh auditioned a lot of people and we had a guy in the band for a while and and the sensibilities were never you know the same and as you see a lot of bands you know they were mates they were friends and they liked the same kind of music and they went out to the same kind of clubs and and that was the thing that brought them together and musicianship (laughs) didn't come in first it it was you know the second thing. So then, when we sure. we were we were continued to look for a fourth person. Lauren was Ted's friend from school of visual arts, and um, mm. she used to go to cl- out to clubs with him and was a big music fan. And so we sort of said, let's give it a try. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask, and this
0: is something I'm always curious about with bands like yours, who are aligned so heavily with a particular genre. I mean, you talk about synth pop not necessarily being mm. where you intended to go, but that's where you ended up. Do you ever feel kind of hemmed in? Is that does that ever sure, feel Sure, because
1: too it means nothing limited? to me. It's like this really? the idea that you know, you you a painting is like if you're an artist, all you are is like yeah. your medium. You know, like oh, I can't, yeah. you know, I can only express myself with like oil paints or something. So yeah. it really doesn't mean anything to me. Um, and oh, I do like a lot of a lot of, a lot of electronic bands. And and if uh-huh. you listen to the songwriting, you know, it's it's probably not that surprising who i like but it doesn't have to be it's not like that i don't know i think the genres are for most artists you know like all different kinds of music for different reasons you know definitely
0: that's definitely true okay yeah
1: i I wonder that for you know
0: i i think of a band like men without hats so aligned with just synth pop and and uh safety Mm -hmm. dance and stuff like that but I know that the lead singer prefers other kind of music and he's tried to kind of rock out and do other things and his audience doesn't allow that, you know? So, yeah, yeah that just,
1: must really I always happen. wonder if like, he
0: sort of just feels stuck or not, not that's not, that doesn't mean that he's disrespecting his legacy or the music. Not at it's all. just creatively I can't express myself the way I wish I could, you know?
1: Yeah, and I guess that that's a problem because one of the things we have is is sometimes we have gone out on some of these tours or shows with these kind of person who has this one international hit like this is a perfect example of what you're talking about about safety yeah. it so they could go all over the world and you'll have people will be like you know i mean we're an alternative band that people you know um a new wave alternative band that people felt very strong about our following yeah. more of a cult following to it
0: but yeah, then it we does. don't do
1: so well like you know we were in ecuador last year we don't have a recognizable hit you know what I mean? Like like some of the yeah. bands we were with. Yeah. That has one song that people are like, Yeah, I don't know who that band is, but I know the song yeah. and that's what older people sometimes are going to a concert. Oh, the English sure. beater in town, I know this one song.
0: Yep. Yeah. So that's just one I was way ask you of you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, in keeping with sort of the sort of some of the kind of the themes that I like to go off of in this in this podcast, you guys never having that hit. But having a you know, you've got ten to twelve dance hits that people who are of my age who would have been paying attention to kind of alternative radio at the time grew up beloved you know loving these songs yeah just weren't top 40 i assume at the time you're able to maintain a career doing nothing but music but because there's no hit it never got like huge but you were able to sort of pay your rent go out to eat you know to get enough string together enough Money so that you could pay your bills to keep making the music,
1: right? Totally, we were a band for like twelve years where we never had any other. Yeah, so, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I mean that was really great. Yeah, and I don't, I, I want to know what people do now since there's no records and stuff. I mean, we were always going on tour to promote our record, and you know, you yeah. have also have a lot less. Um, you know, you don't have a mort- i didn't have a mortgage when I was 22. So, it, sure, you sure. know, it took me less money to su- survive then as well. You right, know? right. So, yeah, that's what makes it harder at this yeah. point as well. Of course. Can you make a living now solely doing music and
0: doing these reunion tours, or do you do? Because I know you're a—I read it, food stylist.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a you're food in the culinary stylist. arts
0: now. Okay, tell me exactly what a food stylist is. I mean, So I've Jeff, done that do you for you about ten different? years.
1: Um, okay. What it is is I, I cook and style the food for magazines and TV and um, okay, that's what I thought. advertising. Okay. Uh, so okay. it's been a great second career for me, but it also has gone a little bit the way of the music industry. We're publishing really? right now. There's not as yeah. many food magazines, so it isn't quite as – I piece in that too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Was there a moment –
0: I'm always really interested in the transitions. that moment of when you kind of wake up one morning and you realize, I got to do something else. I can't make it as a musician anymore. That part of me is over. Was that a difficult transition for you or was the culinary arts always something that you sort of would have really liked to have done when you had the
1: time and you finally had the time? Well, I think for me, I went to art school and that was my, being True. a visual artist was my number one thing to begin with. And we got into music yeah. sort of accidentally, but not like it wasn't a passion, but okay. it, absolutely. I mean, after the band broke out, up, I got a small demo deal with Electra because Seymour Stein had gone there and then mm-hmm. he left. And so it was never picked up. And I don't know if I ever had this moment where I said that, okay, you're done, <laughs> you know, yeah. exactly. Right. But uh-huh. I kind of did. I know after that that went south, I was really unsure. And I guess I was always kind of juggling, trying to, you know, get some balls in the yeah. air with all those things. You know, what What yeah. could I do next? And I was a little older by the time Book of Love broke up. So then my friends who were young when I started out, they had jobs then. You know, so that yeah. I, I actually yeah. got into styling because a friend of mine was an art director at a magazine. So oh, interesting. Um, I had Kind of had early success, but then okay. by the time Book of Love broke up, and I was starting over again, I had you know a midlife crisis before I was even sure. thirty. And, yeah. um, I bet. Uh, but I had some friends that were in the business, Good. but this all didn't happen so fast. I kind of never—I don't think I really—I'm I, not sure I could have figured it out a little. Easier, a little sooner. Well,
0: it's hard, and I'm guessing too, as someone who is a creative person and and but has an interest and the love for creativity in a lot of different fields? I mean, it sounds like music wasn't the one thing that you were all in on. There were other art. There was cre- graphic design. There was creative, uh, maybe even writing. I don't know. Sometimes it, well, I a think that's person, true. it probably feels like, where do I channel this energy? I just know I need to do Definitely, something. but I
1: also have to say for people to, to to be honest is to say, I certainly didn't think that I'd never want to perform again. You know what I mean? I certainly didn't feel like I I never want to, you know, I never want to perform or I don't like performing. I did feel like I'm finally good at this. You know, by the time we wrapped it up, I mean, when we went out on Depeche Mode tours in the mid-80s, you know, we had only played in front of like 200 people. We were like, you know, it was pretty challenging, you know? Every day was like an adventure. So, you know, we really didn't have the experience. So, By the time we broke up, you know, we'd been on tour for 10 years. We understood the life. I felt like we finally got good at it. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Was your, I mean, was your head just exploding? When, when, I mean, thank goodness, Depeche Mode, not that you wouldn't have had success otherwise, but it sounds like Depeche Mode comes along. One of the biggest bands in the world, or becoming one of the biggest bands, they take a liking to you and invite you specifically to come out on tour with them, right? I mean, that's yeah. Story, I mean, it all I happened think, like right? in a week.
1: Some of those that's kind of, crazy. It is crazy, and the thing to remember because I've been thinking about this a little bit lately with this new uh, reunion. Sometimes things happen so fast, and there's so much yes. going on that you don't even have time to appreciate it or really understand because you're, right. you're struggling so much to just survive. I mean, when we were yeah. on when we were in Europe with them, I remember after we played in Paris, and it was like. I think it's like twenty thousand people. I just remembered that night we're like band meeting tomorrow. We got to talk, you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, it was, was, was nerve wracking, you know. So yeah. we didn't get to enjoy it quite as much as I don't know. Maybe you never, no, maybe no one ever does, you know? Your, well, when you, you have your fifteen kind of minutes.
0: You don't know. Yeah. You don't know that this is your. I mean, <laughs> could potentially be your one shot to play in front yeah. of twenty thousand people in Paris with Depeche yeah. Mode. Especially at the beginning, you don't know if things are going up or down. Is this going to get even better? Or is
1: this the yeah. top?
0: You don't know, right? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Now, I want to go. I want to kind of go back to the beginning because you guys were club kids at like Danceteria and Mud and stuff like that. Am I right?
1: Yeah, we went to, um, the Pyramid was the club that we went to the most because that was right in our neighborhood here. But Danceteria, okay. yes. And the Mud Club was like a, just a minute before us. We, we played there. Okay. So I mean, you got to tell me did you did you see
0: that was a really heady pivotal time in yeah.
1: culture, especially musical yeah. culture at that time. Were you
0: seeing things? Were you experiencing things? Do you have any totally. crazy stories from that era? that's the part that that I don't
1: feel like I I missed. It was very exciting. Oh and really? Really? You know, it was such an interesting time, and and we got to see these bands when they were so you know the, the scene was you know so small. So yeah. it would be the same people who would see all these bands. Like we saw the Psychedelic furs at the Mud Club. There two. you go. You know? Oh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Love and, it. And we knew people that, um, you know, I know that show in particular because we knew the guy that was working with them. So we were like, you know, backstage or whatever. It was very, very uh-huh. exciting. Without wow. the pressure. That, that was even yeah. more exciting because we didn't <laughs> have the pressure of like sure. actually having to do a show. <laughs> oh, that's
0: great! So, what other stuff? I mean, did you did you rub shoulders with people we would know? Did you have any interesting kind of interactions, or good or bad or indifferent?
1: Probably, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. And then when we got successful, we it, it sort of happened very quickly. And then we were kind of off on our own. So yeah, we did you know meet people or or cross paths with with a lot of people, okay. but we ended up doing our own shows, and then we it was yeah. just us again. So okay. I, I feel like I didn't meet as many musicians, other musicians as I would have thought I ha- would have, but I'd met all yeah. the people that were part of the scene, you know, in okay. the early age.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you ever, throughout the course of your
0: career, meet any heroes or any, you know, you mentioned the Slits, great band. Did you ever come face-to-face or have a conversation with somebody that you just idolized? Mm-hmm. Or were you sort of more in your own world? I mean, if the answer is no, that's fine. But like you said, you guys were sort of, Off on your own, doing your own tours. Maybe you're not pumping up other people. Yeah, and you know what? We're New Yorkers
1: too. So when we see people, we know that. Like, like I would say, a hero of mine is Patty Smith. And the interesting thing that I've thought of lately is one of the. You know, we have a song about a Modigliani, the Mm -hmm. painter, right? And when I when I was first interested in Patty, when I was in high school, I read through all her stuff, and she. Like the poet Rimbaud, she liked Bonaventure. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who any of these people were, and I looked them up. And I fell—you know—it it makes perfect sense. Some of the writing was a little bit, you know, above yeah. me. So, sure. she, I fell in love with the painter. You know what I mean? So yeah. she influenced me and made me sort of look these things up and learn about more culture. And yeah. you know, I see her around, but I don't go up to her and say anything. So of I'm okay. kind of okay. New Yorker, sort of. I mean, I don't know. That's I'm from true. that school where you don't. Yeah. I forgot. kind of, that. or maybe, right. I'm sure I have, though, you know what I mean, yeah. I'm sure I've gone up sure. to people, I mean, okay. Ted never got to meet David Bowie, but he did see him in the neighborhood, Yeah. Um, oh, you know, man. all that kind yeah. of stuff, and I, I mean, I have gone they... up to people, you know, okay. I guess, but uh, we have respect for them, I think Madonna just... rehearsed in our space, but I don't yeah, remember that's her. what I was thinking,
0: okay, Yeah. because okay. she came up through Dance Oteria, too, didn't she?
1: Totally, so and Probably she was a, like a company a all the time then, too, but Okay. We never crossed paths. I mean, the girls were saying, oh, don't you remember? She would like to, they're talking about some stories. And we were part of that music building on 38th street. It was a big, yeah. th- it was a big dump during the uh, huh. early eighties. And she lived there for a period, but I, I don't remember. her. I just everybody's.
0: <laughs> okay. Interesting. But you mentioned Patty Smith. I mean, those touchstones are so major in our lives, right? Yeah. I mean, mine was Bowie and same kind of thing. He's, who is this guy? I got to understand him better. I got to listen to he's talking about the Velvet Underground and Iggy Pop. I don't know what those are. I'm like, heaven, yeah. you know? I'm, I I got to know what that is. I got to go look that up." And it changes the course of your life forever and shapes who you are forever. But it's because of some artists that just kind of awaking your senses to something you don't know, but you're really it's provocative and you're interested. Yeah, that's interesting that Patti Smith was that person for you. Huh? Now one thing, you mentioned Modigliani, we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving, and I'm guessing you're about to start seeing a little fight in the royalty checks.
1: Right? (laughs) Who thought who knew that would be a Thanksgiving movie, yeah.
0: automobile season,
1: right? I know. So that's a good, that's a good
0: <laughs> Oh, that's great. Do you know anything? I mean, John Hughes, even though that wasn't one of his teenage movies, he still was, talk about Touchstones, he was still introducing the world to a lot of bands and a lot of music around that time. Totally. Like I mean, I was
1: told that Molly Ringwald was trying to get one of our songs in, and maybe it was Pretty in Pink. It was whatever movie was before Sweet. that. And it didn't work <laughs> out. And, and then they put us in planes, strings
0: and automobiles. Wow! So you do? Do you know? So you, that's the story. You know that Molly tried for it, and that's he ended I, up coming yeah, around for the next movie. Told. And you do? I mean, I was kind of joking, but I do assume you you get some nice royalty checks around Thanksgiving because that gets played like yeah twenty four seven for the next week, right? I
1: know. Yeah, that's been great. Oh, that's
0: great. Good for you. Totally <laughs> yeah. deserved. I love it. <laughs> When I look, read about the kind of um, sort of your bio, a lot of it comes down to the DJ Ivan Ivan digging the single for boy that you give him, and then he gives that Seymour side) I mean, that yeah. sounds almost like a fairy tale, but is that
1: really how it should be? It's sound? a very strange coincidence. And we haven't had a whole lot of coincidences in our career, so we got that one. But Ivan oh. was a DJ at the Pyramid. We went to the Pyramid all the time. You know, we you know, loved his music. We, I guess we probably knew him. And then Lauren uh-huh. gave him the demo of Boy. It was just so... It, it, he was trying to put together this deal with, with Seymour, which it makes a lot of sense if you know Seymour that he kind of has his eyes and ears everywhere, and he chose mm-hmm. Ivan to sort of, you know, A&R and to select some artists that he was not going to be able to find on his own. And he was just putting it together, and he needed, like, the artists to start it. We had no idea. Mm. And yeah. he gave it to Seymour, and that was the first artist that, that Ivan, you know, had on his label. So wow. um, it was really, and then, boy, you know, Kind of, it had that effect on people, and that's how we, so Boy came out as a 12-inch, a and it was a big dance hit, and then the Depeche Mode tour was, like, only a couple of months later. So all this stuff happened mm. within a few months.
0: Hmm. That's. I mean, we you we think... oh,
1: day jobs that we had to quit.
0: Really? Okay, I want, I'm dying to know. What was your day job?
1: I worked at a fabric company, and I, like, did displays and stuff like that, and, like, really? office management. I mean, you know, Did you Pech- have course. a
0: moment where you got to go in and be like, sorry, guys, I quit. I'm going to go off to be a rock you star? You know
1: what? I thought about this recently. You know what I didn't do is I didn't quit. I just went on my leave of absence to go on the be- passport tour, and I never called. And, you know, I think about this, isn't that, I think about this today because, you know, you're trying to teach your kids to, like, sure. <laughs> you know, just uh, things that, like. why didn't I just call when I got home and say, I guess I was worried that they were going to convince me to come back or something. <laughs> but I never called to say that I was never coming back. (laughs)
0: Just faded away. I always want someone to tell me the story that they went in and they like, you know, why you see in the movies when those people like swipe everything off their desk, you know, in a flurry, you know, be like, I'm done with this place. I'm going off to be a rock star. And they walk out and then they get big. No one ever has those stories. I wish they did. You
1: know, I just asked myself why I didn't call them. I can't, I kind of can't understand. I guess it's just kind of coming to terms with the person you are now and the person you were then. I I yeah. think it would have been – it sounds kind of rude.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, that's fun. Now, do you think – I mean, was there – I don't even know. Was there sort of uh a, a, a interest bubbling up for Book of Love at the time? If Ivan Ivan hadn't done that, do you think your fortunes would have still worked out somehow, or was that – We actually had moment? someone
1: else interested in um, – in Boy, at that time too. So.
0: Oh. Okay. Okay. So it looked like something might have happened, one way or the other. You guys were gaining steam, right?
1: I kind of feel that way. The song really okay. um, resonated.
0: Good. Good. Okay. Now your you guys' style, I keep I always think of it as uh, simple yet charming. It's almost uh childlike in a way yeah. sometimes. Yeah. You know, was that was that on purpose? Or do you just is that your style? Where do you where did you sound that? definitely come I from mean somewhere? I think very minimal.
1: Go on. What were you saying?
0: Well, no, that I'm just wondering
1: if that was intentional or not. Definitely. I think that it was honest and I mean the one thing about this band that that does feel great especially today is you know, we were never derivative. We were always honest yeah. we were always offbeat. And sort of like out of sync with everything. So
0: there's no real
1: pressure to um, yeah. sort of have to be a certain way. It was always kind of really from the heart. And, you know, that's the it, band that, the
0: that
1: that we loved and um, sort of just doing what we do best. And I think that that's yeah. the message of Book of Love. And I think that's, again, what doing these shows resonates with people. You know, we meant a lot to people who, you know, yeah. um, felt like a square peg, who felt different. Yeah. Who felt like they were looking for some sort of alternative yeah. in their life, and um, it, it sort of comes back. That's what I'm saying. It's, a, it's like a, that's what I'm proud of. You know, a, yeah. after Good. all these years, that it meant something to maybe um, not you know a zillion people, but it meant a lot to a small amount of people, which is actually yeah. myself. You know.
0: Yeah. True. Yeah. Because
1: I was thinking the other day when when somebody's talking about, well, you're not big enough to do this, you're not big enough to do that, or whatever. I'm thinking about all-girl band, and I was saying, you know what? Look up these bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. You should know about yeah. them. They're really important. They're more important than this other, right. you know, um, you know, th- these bands that nobody cares about are way more important than, you know, somebody that, like, everybody knows because they're on the radio every yeah. day, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but when you said that about it being from the heart, it really was. It was such a... Because, you know, synth base. We'll call it synth-based music, since I know that, you know, you wouldn't categorize yourself necessarily as synth-pop, but this is... These are the days of, you know, the erasures and the Depeche Mode and stuff like that. But there was such an innocence to Book of Love that set you apart from those other bands. Not to mention the songs are, you know, out of this world. They're great songs. But there was just this this tint this twinge of innocence to it all that really separated you i thought i was listening i've been listening to your stuff a ton lately to get ready to talk to you and i was thinking specifically of a song like butterfly on candy carol the- Child's nursery yeah. rhyme. You know? But this that's part of the charm of Book of Love is that you you are able to turn that kind of innocence into really uh, profound art. That like you said, maybe it's not meeting millions of people, but there's thousands of people who were touched deeply by it. I think that's a really interesting talent and ability. Well, do you like it's gonna be kind like, of your legacy.
1: I I mean, do you like Camera Obscura?
0: I do, yes. I love camera obscure, yes.
1: There's love. And that's a band that sort of reminds me of the same kind of thing. you right, like yeah. Offbeat and kind of innocent, and I love the strings. Um, yeah. Actually, the, the keyboard player just died like a year ago yeah. or something like that. I know, isn't that and, tragic? Um, yeah. It's innocent, and it's like when you said that about Butterfly. It almost made me say like, you know, some of our music is a little passive, which is not a, um, mm. you know, always a strong a strong word. You know, a great right. obviously it's not a strong word. But it's sure. not, you know, it, it it can be it can be kind of quiet, and yeah, not everyone can can he- hear that, you know.
0: Yeah, well, and it especially wasn't going to happen in the '90s. I mean, you couldn't be, yeah. you know, this. You couldn't continue to be your charming, passive, innocent selves and break through in the '90s. I don't think it just changed too much. You no. had to have yeah. felt that, right?
1: Yeah, and I think now in, in re- retrospect it feels better because it's kind of like there's no way we could have succeeded,
0: <laughs> You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean no, I remember no the
1: moment sort of Madonna's Justify My Love came out, like that's when this kind of thing was completely changing, you know.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um uh-huh. and things that just wouldn't really suit this band. So that the, our kind of pop songs were kind of were were very, you know, were lost at that moment in time. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, they really were. You're right. That innocence was lost. Thankfully now, again, I, I, just, I it sounds like you may not like this, but there is enough of a nostalgia out there for people of my generation, our generation-ish, that we just want to hear and experience those t- songs and those times again. And I mean, th- that's probably what is making your 30th anniversary tour happen and work and meaningful to the people who are going, right? Absolutely. Um, The
1: only thing that I do think is that with a lot of the legacy artists, I don't know if people of our generation are actually ever really that interested in new music from, from the artists though. Huh.
0: That's interesting. I wonder about that a lot because I am, but in fact, I've gotten to the point and maybe you can relate to this where I'm not, I'm finding it harder and harder to keep up on new bands, especially since I started this podcast because I'm, most of my free time is spent researching the people I'm talking to and kind Mm -hmm. of going back into their stuff. But I do make it a point to be like, as best I can, kind of keenly on top of the bands I already like and what new music they put out, you know? Do you think, is there room in this world for another Book of Love album at this point? Or is it more kind of all-girl band singles here and there?
1: I'm not really sure. I mean I guess I'm really? not really sure of the not about the writing part, just about the um the music business right now. I yeah. mean I'm not sure if people are going to see, you know, Blondie but are and there's a new record coming up, but are people listening to it or buying it? I mean yeah. we're also yeah. told I'm not really talking about Blondie right now, so I don't want anyone to think but on a management side that, you know, these artists are having new product out but they're not they're they're almost to push the tour and people aren't necessarily listening yeah. to it. I don't yeah. know the answer. It's true. Yeah, he, I, You know, my question is about the music business. Can new artists survive? You know, there's no product yeah, anymore. I, know. I mean, it's really... Yeah, I don't
0: know. I don't know either. I do wonder if... I mean, it is easier now from an independent perspective to just create something and put it out there if your expectations are, can remain low or at least mm-hmm. in check, you know? Mm-hmm. I do have... I mean, I would have to think that if there was a eight six-to-eight-song Book of Love EP that was that you could sell at shows or something like that, that your audience would find that interesting? Do, do you not think so, or is it just not? Oh, we're selling great. Or? Like,
1: all our merchandise is selling really well. Good, Good. I guess I'm okay. just the question of the music business in general. Yeah. I have no doubt yeah. that we'd be selling at the shows. It's just yeah. the um, whole idea of the record company or, or product now, it's just, it's just very different, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, what yeah.
1: do other artists say to you about that?
0: Similar things. Yeah. And some of them, it goes either way. Some of them are sort of stymied by the same obstacle, you know, like what do we do? I've got some ideas, but I no one, who's going to even hear it. You know, how would it even get out there? And then some of them just sort of self-produce something, you know, and and a yeah. lot of them do it because they don't know any different. You know, they grew up making albums. That's how you expressed yourself. You put yeah. 10 songs together and you put it out there, and that's what a lot – And so, so some of them still do it, even though who knows who buys those things, you know? Yeah. I still do, but not – you know, I'm in the minority at that point. So, hmm, okay. Yeah, I just think it'd be fun to have more Book of Love out there. I mean, there's just there's four great albums. and
1: Well, we're excited about this, and we're probably going to put a couple of live good. tracks from the tour on it and Ted's working on it right now with with a bunch of different remixers and he might want to he's saying today that maybe we could put another song a new song on it that's yet to be written or that he's I don't know has in his head somewhere I guess it's just we're sort of seeing where everything takes us we're sort of still like we're kind of in the 30th year anniversary continues and you know to see where the whole thing but it has been like I said, it, it this has been my favorite reunion, and it feels that's and great. it feels good, and that's the most important good, thing. Especially good. since it takes a lot to do this. You I know, it, it does need to oh, feel good. Man. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. It could be soul crushing otherwise, right?
1: Yeah, and you chose the right word. It, it can be soul crushing. You know, you have yeah. this work. It's your kind of the the work of your of a lifetime, really. You know, yeah. so you want to yeah. like take care of it, even if that means putting it back in the. Uh, in, you know in, totally in profit.
0: <laughs> yeah that makes sense makes perfect sense one question I have for you we were talking about your album Flood gets involved in your second album Lullaby yeah. Just beginning to build a name for himself, right? He had been on the Joshua yeah. Tree. He had produced Erasure's right. album, The Circus. How yes. do you get someone like Flood on your album? Is that a label saying, "Let's we're going to go out and get this guy for you? Was he even... Yeah, you know, um, at the time, I mean, a, you know, we
1: had, it, it was a lot different. I mean, Se- we told Seymour Stein that Seymour wanted us to meet a bunch of producers, and we told him that we really wanted Flood because uh-huh. I think that he had done just what you said. I forgot about Joshua Tree. He had just finished a yeah. Razor's album. Uh, Seymour sent us to England to meet him, and we we met, like, Stock Aiken and Waterman, all this the producers of the time.
0: You did? Really? Yeah.
1: Did they want to produce you? Yeah, but they didn't really want us to be involved in it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. They were their own thing, right? <laughs> they were really like, if you guys can go to the pub, and we're going to, like, do this yeah. or that. And, we, and, you know, that wasn't <laughs> really our gig. Even though know, exactly exactly I might have actually had a there, hit, right? right? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so funny. Cool. But Boy, we know, we're those, those days are over, right?
1: Some those days are so over.
0: Why fly you to London yes, and so you can exactly, talk to somebody yes. about maybe producing your album. Yeah, right.
1: You don't even know how over they are. Exactly. I think they, <laughs> Timor let us stay, and he paid for us to stay in London for two weeks. I mean, forget oh, about it. You know, our oh. shows, we, we got to leave the next morning. You're like the crack dawn, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. But, wow. Um,
0: so you managed to sell Flood on coming to work on your out?
1: Yeah, oh he was great. I mean he was nobody worked Good. harder than him and you know, he was just uh just, you know, we would have these fourteen hour days and, and uh you know, he was just incredible. Um Good. so he stayed we, we we recorded that in in um New York, but we mixed at Honda Studios, that's the Bowie studio in yeah. um right and the wall was up then. So we went to Berlin and we mixed for like right. a week or two. An incredible experience. Incredible, now, okay. you
0: know? So you mentioned Bowie. i got to ask. Isn't the story behind Heroes, the song, that yeah. he's looking out a window from the yep. studio, yeah. there's the wall, and he sees people kissing at the wall, and he gets yeah. the idea for the song? Was it literally that, or is that sort of some poetic license?
1: To- did you see the documentary with Tony Visconti was telling about that? And they... they- he, he well, we went outside for a few minutes and he wrote that whole yeah. or something like that. It really was, yeah. because we were talking... Really. Remember, this is only 88, and we were talking sure. to the engineer there, and he was probably born in, like, 1962 or 3, and uh-huh. we were asking him about what it was like to grow up, you know, with the wall there, and then uh, some of the band was able to go to East Berlin, but I had to record that day, and uh, I think Jade and Lauren went with... I think my boyfriend at the time was... was came and visited us, and they went to, you know, Eastern Europe and had to, you know, it, you know exchange money, the whole experience. And it was just, it was quite an, you know, it was just wow. quite an experience to have, kind of an unforgettable.
0: That's great. When you look back on your career, what's just the most incredible memory? The, I can't believe this happened to me.
1: Well, I think that some of the Depeche Mode shows were just so, like, playing at yeah. Red Rock. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm Red sure Rock. You're familiar with that. It was just oh, like, yeah. it was just kind of a glorious day. And I think that yeah. I remember that we played at this place in Germany that was, was it Berlin maybe, you know, and it was supposed to have a tunnel underneath it that Hitler went through and just like the oh, just these, you know, experiences that were so beyond our, um, yeah. you know, just our age and anything we had ever done before. So some of those moments I guess would be, you know, the most exciting and, and, yeah. uh, And having a body of work is great. I remember, you know, when we did the best of and we got to hear everything together. I mean, it's just, it's a gift that a lot of people don't get to have. So I totally you know, blessed for for that.
0: It's so perfect. I love it. Um, What about regrets? Do you have any, do you have like a major regret?
1: I I don't know. I kind of sometimes have less regrets than other people. I mean, I feel like, yeah, it would have been great if we had a hit that did this or that. But then mm-hmm. we also, you know, had the opportunity to be on Sire when, if we were on the, a really big, it, it was a big label, but if we were on some other label, maybe they would have kicked us off out of the, after the yeah. first album, and we would have never yeah. been able to, they kind of ignored us in, in a lot of ways, I mean, we had Seymour, but, so we could kind of do whatever we wanted, nobody was pr- maybe promoting us or anything, but we, yeah. could, we could definitely do whatever we wanted, so, good. so we have four albums of whatever we wanted, so, yeah, okay. I wish I could, you know, I wish my career... I mean, I think this is just a tough thing as a, of a lifetime of being an artist. It's difficult, yeah, but I'm still is. struggling. I'm still trying to look for a new career. I, I feel yeah. proud of the stuff that I've, I've done. But in this world, sometimes it isn't, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not making enough money, it's, it's not the most important thing. And you're, you're still struggling to kind of... And, and so many artists that are so talented, yeah. you know? Yeah, especially as they yeah. get older, you know, it can it just do a job on them.
0: Yeah. And the arts are so marginalized anyway. I mean, the yeah. you know, we've talked about the music industry, even the food industry. I mean, whatever, all of it is the people making the making the art, it's moving people are the last to actually get to benefit from their efforts and from their, you know, what they put out in the world. It's you just so said backwards. It.
1: The arts are yeah. so marginalized that we see so many talented people you know, yeah. wildly talented people. I mean, I've lived in New York for 35 years. I mean, and I'm doing a lot better than a lot of them. But it's tough yeah. that it, 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 the arts couldn't be um, respected a little bit more, yeah. a lot more. Yeah, totally. You know? And totally. of course, it's getting it's getting worse, and it will get worse. It sure will. Based on the events of uh, last do week. Do you live so. like right in New York City? Mhm.
0: You do? Okay. Yeah,
1: that's cool. I live in New York.
0: Now, you personally, are you married? Do you have kids? The, I have a 13 story?
1: year old son and I'm divorced. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Just curious. Uh, one other question for you Do you bear any ill will to the dead milkman for name checking you in You'll Dance to Anything?
1: Choke on this, you dancer type. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> really? I didn't know if that was one of those Kind of like wow they mentioned us Or if that was like those jerks You know what I mean What? what the yeah kind of I mean I don't know much about them about
1: Did they like have any other so- Did they have other songs and stuff like that
0: Yeah Punk Rock Girl and and Camaro I actually really yeah. liked them back in the day That was about it though
1: Yeah I mean do, do, uh, Isn't that is not was that song really mean or is it tongue in cheek No like no no
0: I, I assumed I thought maybe you knew it. So they, they have no, one of, I do know it. No, it's called You'll Dance to Anything and it's basically kind it of an
1: indictment. It does The
0: mode, public image limited, the cure, I think where I I'm I'm forgetting everyone, but I haven't heard it for a while. But it's basically so I sort think of we're
1: in pretty good company.
0: Oh, totally. Well that's what I would have thought. And that's what I've always thought. But I wondered I wonder if there was like uh if there was some anger there. Okay, well, well that's good. I've have... always been curious.
1: Yeah, cool. You gotta have a tough skin. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Susan, you really, put but... a lot.
0: Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that I you put a lot out into this world that means a great deal to me, and I know that it hasn't always been easy, but it has made my life better. And so, thank you so much for being you, because there's a lot of your a lot of your creativity and a lot of your artistry has made me personally very happy and i know it oh, that's takes amazing, thousands an amazing thing people.
1: To say.
0: yeah so thank you for being you and the other guys too obviously but you know thank you for being you it means a lot thank you. there you have it susan otaviano i really like that conversation it reminded me bands like book of love remind me of and i'm sure that this is just a parable it's probably folklore not real but I'll tell you the story anyway so there's these two people and they're in a museum and they're looking at a Rothko painting and if you've ever if you've never looked at a Rothko painting it's basically just two colors on top of each other on a canvas of course it goes much deeper than that but to some people it's pretty basic and so one of them says to the other in this very jaded voice I could do that and the other guy says to him yeah but you didn't and I think about that a lot when I think about bands that have this deceptive simplicity like Book of Love do. This goes for any art of any kind. I think about it a lot when it comes to like power pop bands. It seems so simple, yet if it was that simple, everyone would do it and they didn't. And these guys did and great art came of it. I love that thought and it reminded me of Susan and Book of Love. I want to close it out with one of my favorite Book of Love songs, this is the, the title track of their second album, Lullaby. Great song. All right, next week, in fact, the next couple of weeks, we are going in a complete 180. We're doing rock of the 70s, basically. Mid-70s till about 81, 82. The next couple of guests fall into that line. And then, at the beginning of the year, we're going to do a fairly long series on some of the artists behind the indelible hits of the 80s, songs you know, but maybe you don't know much about the bands behind them. So stick around and come back and listen to the stuff we got coming up. Go back into our archives, find things we've already done. If you like Book of Love, if this is your first time here, go back into the archives. There's great stuff in there. If you like that, especially songs from the 80s, artists of the 80s. We got a lot of that stuff in there. You can find us on iTunes and you can subscribe. You can write us a review. You could find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send me a message on there if you want. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, which I'm barely on, at The Pod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makavich for producing the podcast. Thank you, Yan, for putting this together every single week. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode. Thanks, everybody. Love you all.